Hey everyone, this is Jeannie, I use she, her pronouns, and you're listening to Sex Talk Happy Hour, a podcast hosted by the New York City Alliance Against Sexual Assault. Do you remember your sex talk? The birds and the bees? Did you even have one? I know I didn't. I've been married for over a year now, and my parents still haven't given me the talk. My sex education was pretty lacking. I vaguely remember being separated into a group of girls and a group of boys in fifth grade where the girls were taught about our menstrual cycles. To this day, I'm honestly not sure what the boys talked about. And then a health class in high school that spent about a week on sex ed where we mostly learned about sexually transmitted infections and diseases and pregnancy and why we really shouldn't have sex at all just in case. Did you know that only 24 of 50 states mandate a sex education? Isn't that wild? Well, my hope today is that by listening to today's episode, you will learn something that your sex education didn't teach you. I spoke to two licensed sex educators, Lisa and Andy, so they really are the experts. We talk about sex education, why it's important, and we even got some salient advice about how to talk to our younger generation about consent and bodily autonomy. As per usual, our episodes come with a warm self-care heads up. Of particular note, today's self-care note comes with a little extra love as we talk very openly about body parts and sexual practices. For some of you, it might be rote, maybe even a little bit boring. And for others, you might experience some discomfort. All of that is absolutely okay. In my personal opinion, the more we open up this conversation, the less stigmatized or uncomfortable it actually will feel. So to your ability and willingness, I encourage you to lean into feelings of discomfort because that's typically where growth happens. And who knows, maybe you'll learn something that you'll find intriguing today. Wouldn't that be cool? All right, enough from me. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lisa and Andy. So can you introduce yourself, your pronouns, and where you work? Uh, My name is Andy Duran. I use he, him, his pronouns and I work for Good Vibrations and Babeland. My name is Lisa, I use she, her pronouns, and I work at Babeland. Awesome, it's so great to have you here. Okay, so what is Babeland, what is Good Vibrations, and your specific role there? Babeland is a feminist-run and woman-founded sex toy shop. So we not only focus on the physical tools, i.e. sex toys, to get you the sex life that you want, but also the information and education. So everybody that works at any of our locations is actually a trained sex educator, which is really neat because we sort of act as a sort of resource center as well as a retail space. So, you know, you can come in and buy a flogger, but you can also come in, buy a flogger, learn the safe ways to use it, what length you're looking for, materials, things like that, have an all-encompassing conversation with the person that is helping you find these products. So I am the brand manager and also a sex educator, as we all are. I've been with Babeland now since March of 2016. I absolutely love it. I mean, I get to talk about sex and pleasure all day, which is a really rad job to be in. So so Good Vibrations and Babeland are two amazing sex-positive feminist adult stores. The Good Vibrations brand started out of the San Francisco Bay Area in California and has stores throughout California and Boston. And the Babeland stores started actually through interning with Good Vibrations to start similar stores in Seattle and then later in New York. And we're really proud to work together in kind of providing sex-positive, safe, accessible stores and online stores for people to shop and get their questions answered and talk to real sex educators. 
Great. Well, we're really glad that you're here with us today. You mentioned the term sex positive. Could you quickly define that for our listeners who might be unfamiliar? Oh, I absolutely love this. Sex positivity needs to be all-encompassing, like sex ed. Oh, look at that. Full circle. Sex positivity isn't just about being pro-sex, right? It needs to be about pro-sex as everybody experiences it in their day-to-day life or not. So being sex positive doesn't mean that you need to be totally into everything. Like, you need to be super kinky and super open to trying everything. That isn't sex positivity. Sex positivity is understanding and respecting your body and your body's own needs and wants, um, respecting other people's needs and wants, and doing so in a way that's non-judgmental. Sex positivity needs to include people like folks that are asexual. Sex positivity needs to include folks that choose to be hypersexual. Sex positivity needs to include everybody's choices as long as they are made safely and consensually. Realistically, sex positivity is the idea of not only accepting, but embracing those ideas. Essentially, recognizing that everybody, in this country especially, has been denied safe, accessible resources and information about sexuality and how it will pertain to them over the course of their life. You know, we may get some type of sex ed in high school. It's usually, you know, reproductive-oriented or, you know, STI-oriented. Nothing about pleasure, nothing about how your body works in the anatomy. And and so we all kind of start with uh, no information or bad information and then go into practice and often that's where we can experience negative experiences with sex or not really having clear ideas about communication skills or what we like or what we want we're just kind of reenacting what we've seen sometimes just in porn which is even worse because you know that's that's uh, entertainment and that's you know not uh, a manual and so sex positivity is basically saying hey like we've all kind of had this this denied, but we're all people that experience sex differently. Some of us may be virgins, some of us may be swinging from the chandelier every Saturday night, uh, and that's okay, but where do we all go to just have safe places where we can still get that information? You know, not just abstinence only, not just, you know, for, for folks that are in different subgroups like kink or other things, but where can everybody get information and not be judged for where they are, you know, and I think that's the the big thing about uh, sex positivity is it's, it's meeting everybody where they're at and there is no place that they should be. I really appreciate the lens of how this is something we've all been deprived of. That's a really, really interesting take that I've never thought about before. You sort of actually set me up perfectly for my next question with that, which is what kind of sex education did you get growing up, if any? And if you did, was any of it through a queer lens? So I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Um, It's pretty progressive. I did get a little bit of sex ed, but it was still pretty... It is still pretty focused on STI awareness and reproductive sex. So it was it wasn't queer at all, <laughs> since you know if it's just about reproduction, and it's w- what I would call scare tactic sex education. You know the day where they have the slides of all the STDs to make you one shame people who have had sex and who have STDs, but two also just kind of 
you know, to freak you out from wanting to have sex. And so even in my progressive pocket of the, of the country, my sex ed was definitely still lacking. And as a queer person, I definitely didn't get information that was relevant to me. I, in my public high school, had limited sex education. We had two tiers of sex ed. So there was the fourth grade sex ed, which included, like, you're changing body and you. And then there was the seventh grade sex ed, which was the reproductive system, STI prevention, and that blipped in again in health classes throughout high school. But sex education, for me, what I was provided in my public school it was very much so if you wanted to know about pregnancy or you wanted to know about STI prevention or you wanted to watch a scare tactic film about chlamydia, those were the things that you were provided with. I was lucky enough to have a resource center outside of my high school. It was a queer youth center and they provided sex ed on site. It was actually required as part of their new person orientation process. It was just a very simple sex ed, but making it a little bit more open to different kind of bodies. So it was talking more so about, okay, well, here's your sex education. If you are a person with a vulva that's sleeping with another person with a vulva or a person with a penis sleeping with another person with a penis, sort of providing that. It was very baseline. And this was back in like 2006, seven. So the language that we had about gender wasn't as evolved as it was, as it is today. I think that talking about pleasure is something that's vital in sex education and so often if not almost always it gets overlooked and it might be part of that whole like pushing an abstinence program how are we supposed to push abstinence if we're telling people how great sex can be (laughs) absolutely okay so in your opinion why should sex education through a queer lens be included as part of a comprehensive sex education so the thing that I really love about, you know, the idea of through a queer lens, you know, is the, the way you're saying that is that for queer folks, sex has always been about figuring out as you go. You know, straight sex ed has been very prescribed. You know, it's it's the, the man inserts his this into that and it's very like plug and socket. It's, you know, utilitarian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you're getting that reproductive sex education that's the only thing you're learning about is penetrative sex, penis and vagina specific penetrative sex, not anal sex, no oral sex. Like you're only learning about penis and vagina sex. And when you're looking at sex through a queer lens, you're looking at it beyond prescribed insertion parts like Ikea, Ikea furniture. <laughs> you're really looking at it as a, as a pleasure-based activity. Do you like it when I touch you here? Do you like it when I do this? Oh, you like that? Oh, I like that. And it becomes less prescribed and more about the experience with another body. You know, there is no kind of intuitive instruction of what you were supposed to be doing. You don't see it in TV. It's not missionary position like you've seen in every other film or, or music video. It's, it's whatever you want it to be. And I think that everybody needs to have sex introduced to them in that way, where it's not about living out the prescription or the the drawn fantasy of what sex is supposed to look like. Sex is always supposed to look like how it looks in that moment for you. <laughs> you know, it's never going to look the same, you know, always. And if it does, that's usually because that's how we've been taught that sex is supposed to look. 
first and foremost, if, if you want to have comprehensive sex ed, you have to understand that there are different bodies that work differently with either bodies that are similar or bodies that are different. Understanding those similarities and differences can be really useful, not only in the idea of prevention, if we're talking about like STI prevention, but it could be really useful when just learning a little bit more about yourself and how your body works in the world. Not having queer sex ed is super exclusionatory and it can lead to issues with body dysmorphia, it can lead to mental health issues, obviously physical health issues if we're getting back to that idea of prevention. But when we think about bodies, you know, so often it's let's talk about bodies with a penis versus bodies with a vulva, and there are so many similarities. Even if we didn't talk about how these bodies interact together and we're not talking about the physical act of sex between two or more bodies, thinking about anatomy, just real quick, gonna go into a little piece of sex ed. So when we are all in utero, we actually have analogous anatomy. What that means is that the parts of the body that develop into the genitals as our bodies increase hormone production. Uh, There's a surge of testosterone, there's a surge of estrogen, uh, a little bit of both for folks that are intersex. Those protogenitals, the things that start off, are the same. When we think about clits, you have the glands, which is the head, you have the legs that go down through the vulva, you think about how similar that is to a penis erectile tissue as well. It has the glands, the head that goes into the shaft um, akin to the legs of the clitoris. You have a clitoral hood versus foreskin. All of these things make it so much easier to understand bodies that may be different from our own as well as our own. I think targeting that as specifically queer is not necessarily important. I think the importance is not having cis-hetero-based sex education versus queer sex education. It's just having sex education that will talk about every type of body and how they can interact with one another. You know, you're not going to learn math and only learn the numbers one through four. You got to get those other digits in there too, or else you're never going to be able to understand math as a whole. So I think thinking about sex education as just that education, get the full education. Thank you for that. Really quickly, can you define what it means to be intersex for our listeners? So intersex defines folks that may be born with a variation in their sex characteristics. So that may be their genitals, their hormones, their chromosomes. Most often when we're talking about intersex as we're talking about physical bodies, it would be a deviation from what is understood as a person with a vulva or a person with a penis. This would be someone that could be considered as in between or neither. Great. Thank you. I always want to provide definitions for listeners who might not be as familiar with these terms, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Okay, so in your work as a sex educator, what are some of the risks or consequences of a non-comprehensive sex ed? I think that some of the examples that uh, we see every day on our sales floor, you know, we have customers that come in that you know, women who say, I've never had an orgasm. I think something's wrong with my body. And uh, when we ask, you know, like, what kind of stimulation are you doing or your partner is doing, they always kind of say, well, normal sex. (laughs) And like, well, what what does that mean for you? Uh, Penetration, you know, like he's inside me and I'm supposed to orgasm. He does and I'm not. It's surprising to most people that 
over 70% of women don't orgasm from penetrative sex. And a lot of those people think that it's just them and that there's something uniquely wrong for them, especially because a lot of folks are enjoying penetrative sex. They're just not reaching orgasm. And so there's this kind of like, you know, what, what are we doing wrong? And nobody's doing anything wrong. It's just that most people, regardless of gender, orgasm from external stimulation, you know, over their penis or their clitoris, um, and having that area touched. And in that kind of penetrative sex that we have been prescribed, only one of those parts of anatomy is being touched. So, you know, when, when we don't talk about pleasure in sex ed, we have an entire society of folks who aren't receiving their optimal pleasure that they could be during sex. So going back to the idea of what we were talking about, that's sort of the key point of what a lot of high school sex education is, is talking about prevention. The idea of safer sex. If you don't understand how bodies can interact with one another, other than here is how a male condom goes on a penis, air quotes around the word male there, and here is how that penis goes into a vagina. If you don't have any ideas of how bodies can interact with one another outside of that realm, you're not going to be able to be safe about it. To this day, there are folks that have never heard of things like dental dams. So often you'll hear this idea of, oh, well, it's two bodies with vulvas. There is no semen involved, so there's no transmission of STIs, which, listeners, is very false. Not having the comprehensive sex head where it says like, oh, you can transmit things through other ways of bodies touching. And talking about STIs in a way that's not scary is super important too. And I think that's, again, something that trickles from queer to cis-hetero or whatever your ID or your gender or your sexuality is. STIs don't necessarily need to be demonized. We absolutely, we meaning everybody at Babeland, but this is something for me personally as well, hate the idea of clean versus dirty. And that definitely comes up a lot in sex ed, um, saying like, oh, get tested for STIs, make sure that you are clean, which can really stigmatize folks that have transmitted an STI. And, you know, this is, this is a whole other conversation, so I'm not going to divert too much, but just understanding that if someone does have an STI, it doesn't make them dirty. And, you know, you can't put blame on someone for contracting an STI or for transmitting it if they were unaware if they had it. I mean, testing is vital, but just understanding that that's such a nuanced conversation. I really appreciate this perspective a lot. Thank you. Just another quick definition note. Earlier, you mentioned dental dams. Can you quickly describe what that is? Absolutely. Um, so dental dams are very often made out of latex. You can get any other safer sex materials, so polyisoprene, nitrile, any of those, but essentially it's a stretchy piece of material that would go over the vulva to protect for contact if it's body-to-body non-penetrative. So anything that is a surface stimulation, they are most often used for oral sex, so it would work as a barrier between the giver's mouth and the receiver's vulva. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So I know that you both received some version of sex education, though we've already named neither was wholly comprehensive. So I'm wondering what healthy, safe sex tactics you wish you'd learned when you were younger. 
Oh my God, consent and communication. You know, we, we talk about safer sex and we think about like barriers and all of that, but let's talk about the mental and physical repercussions of safer sex as it pertains to talking to your partner. I wish that I had known that consent is so much more than yes and no. So often consent is taught as no means no, and that's it. And the absence of a no means consent, which again, listeners, totally wrong. Um, you know, talking about consent as something that needs to be enthusiastic, right? Planned Parenthood has this wonderful acronym. I don't know if you've heard it. They call it FRIES. Yeah, FRIES stands for freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. So again, it's that idea of, you know, it's not only no means no and yes means yes. It's an enthusiastic yes. It's a yes that's able to become a no. It's a yes that's able to start off as a maybe and become an enthusiastic yes. It's a yes that has limitations, like you are not under the influence so much that you can't make an informed decision. You know, it is a yes so much so as I am saying yes to one specific act and not necessarily everything else that you think is going to happen in this session of play. I think that learning about consent and communication really would help on so many regards just having that conversation with folks because not only does it help prevent things like assault which obviously major to be able to do but it also helps people become more comfortable in their own bodies it opens up that conversation around pleasure which is something that again we really aspire to have sex education be more focused on and it also just helps out with your autonomy in a day-to-day life Oh, I really like that acronym FRIES. <laughs> I actually, I really like what the S stands for, specific. It's really important. So I'm curious about what your thoughts are on pornography. We know that many of our young people are learning about sex through mainstream pornography and media, and I always talk to my students about this, about how porn is a fantasy and how the conversations about consent are happening off screen before the cameras even start rolling. Absolutely. I, I love porn, first of all. It's one of my favorite mediums of uh, erotica. It's one of our favorite lessons and courses that I give here in our stores, kind of porn 101. And porn gets a bad rep a lot of time for being this, you know, kind of education for people about sex. It's never, it was never meant to be educational. The problem really is that porn was originally you know, something that you had to go to a a movie theater to see, you had to go into uh, an adult store, Uh, you had to talk to your cable provider and say, I'd like the Playboy channel added, you know, like, you had to be an adult that made these decisions to put yourself in front of porn and kind of go across a threshold in order to do it. And typically, those folks were, because they were over 18, they've had some experience with sex already, to, for the most part. Um, whereas now, because you can just kind of see porn on your cell phone as soon as you roll over out of bed, you know, there isn't that same threshold to, to cross. And a lot of those folks have never had any kind of experience with maybe another naked body, maybe sex with another person or even have, you know, a date or communication with another person. And so it's becoming less of a, you know, an entertainment that they, you know, you know is different from the reality and more of your first experience of witnessing sex. 
And, and that's where I think the real problem is, is that it's not about uh, porn being bad, it's just that now it's so accessible. And, and if it's so accessible, then we need sex education to be just as or more accessible first. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. Okay, so speaking of accessibility, we've talked a lot about how most of us lack a comprehensive sex ed, right? So for those of us who are interested in learning more, particularly those that might belong to the queer community, are there any good resources where people can find out more? There are some really good books that are that are going to be really comprehensive on, on kind of the whole gamut. The first would be The Sex and Pleasure book. It's a Good Vibrations book that came out a couple of years ago. I think the, the subline is actually, you know, like sex education for everyone. And I think that that's a, that's a great book. I mean, I have a, a couple of pieces in there myself and on porn and on some other topics, but it's, it's kind of like what I think of as an encyclopedia or a res- like kind of a resource that you can keep forever because it's, it's essentially a, a cradle-to-grave sex ed book. You know, it kind of goes through everything from, you know, talking to young people about their body uh, all the way to, you know, senior sexuality or how to, you know, have pleasure after your, par- your partner passes on or, you know, all kinds of things. And so that's an amazing book. There's Scarlet Teen is a website, scarletteen.org. And that's an amazing uh, resource for, for age appropriate sex education. And it's definitely has a very queer lens throughout it. It, you know, talking about uh, bodies and pronouns and, and sexual orientation and, you know, crushes all the way to STIs and, and risk. And so it's really, it's a really great resource also for, for students and young people. And the author of that site also is an author of a really great book, I college-age resource book uh, about sexuality, and I believe it's just called S-E-X, Sex, and uh, her name is Heather Corinna, and so you should definitely check that out as well. Thank you. That's really great. Okay, so this is my last real question. A lot of my friends are either about to become parents or are pretty new to the whole parenthood thing and are starting to think about, you know, the talk with their kids. And a lot of them are expressing nerves or just generally not really knowing where to start. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for new parents who are thinking about this already. Absolutely. So three things. One is that, you know, I know it's the holiday season right now. You're probably going to be dealing with a lot of family and friends. And one of the things that happens along this time is we tend to force our young people in our lives to do things that they may not want to do. Like, go hug grandma. Go give your grandpa a kiss or sit in his lap or any of these things. And if the kid's like, no, I don't want to. Or like, they always pinch my cheeks or any of those things. We're like, do it anyway because it'll make them feel good. That's like a really, really early, early start to how we start thinking about you know, our bodies and how we have to offer them to other people for their pleasure, you know, and it may not make that connection right away when we're saying it, but, but these are things that definitely we hold, you know, through our growing up. And so a good thing to practice is, you know, asking the young people in our life, you know, like, do you want to give your grandma a hug, you know, and it's okay if you don't right now and you can change your mind and just giving them room to consider and to realize that, that they can decide what they want to do in those situations, you know, that's, that's a really good start. And it's a really great example of age appropriate boundaries and consent. Another thing is, it's how we talk about sex in general. A lot of people think of the talk, as you mentioned it, but uh, one thing that I've learned recently is that it's never a talk, it's a series of talks. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing relationship. 
And I saw a really brilliant speaker named Ignacio Rivera, who delivered a really great message about, I think they called it bringing the fire. And the whole message, they kept using this fire analogy. Like if there's a child and they come near the stove and, and the flame is on, you panic and you're like, get back, that's dangerous, get away, you know? And, and the kid doesn't really know why or what they've done wrong, or they just know they frightened you. That's, you know, not necessarily helpful, but what you could do is say, you know, like, hey, like, you, you scared me because fire can be really dangerous, it can be really hot, you can get hurt if you don't know what you're doing, but it's also really powerful and can keep us warm and cook our food and, and do all these, you know, really beautiful things that we need too. And kind of thinking about that as an analogy for how we talk about sex. When we, we talk about sex with people, we tend to talk to them about the fear. Don't do this because this is going to happen consequentially. We don't talk to them about how like, hey, like this might be scary and dangerous, but also if done correctly, it can be really beautiful and really great. And we can talk about those things when you're older. Like just really reframing the entire way that we guide someone into sexuality instead of protecting them from it. The third one, there's actually a really great article that I've read, and, and I think it's called We Don't Touch Our Vulvas at the Dinner Table, or something like that. And it's basically this mother who's like having this conversation about how her child was, you know, had her hand in her pants at the table, and how she, you know, kind of was like, you know, remember, like, that's not something that we do at the table. If you want to have alone time, you know, and, and go in your bedroom, you can do that there. But, you know, we don't do these things in front of company, and it's a special thing that you do alone. And I thought that was really amazing, because it wasn't, like, masturbation-focused either. It was just, this is an area that you should touch when you're not in front of other people, and something that you can you are allowed to touch because it is yours. I just thought that was great, because we tend to get, you know, this idea of oh, that's a private place, but we, we also just kind of make it private from ourselves, too. And just on the other side of that, I've met so many women who have never seen their vulvas, who have never touched down there, as they would say it, you know, and only kind of let other people touch in the ways that, you know, they've been told is appropriate. And it's kind of like you, you've lost this whole area of your body that you get to explore that's yours, you know. Kids play with their toes and they're like, look at these toes, they do things, you know. <laughs> like, we should let people, like, feel that way about their whole body. And, and I think that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That is really great. And I really appreciate everything that both of you have had to say today. I learned a lot from you and I hope our listeners did too. So one final question, where can people find out more about Babeland and where can people find out more about Good Vibrations? So you should definitely follow us on social media. We're Good Vibes Toys on all of our social media channels. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We do a lot of fun contests on Instagram too, so definitely follow us there. And go to our website, goodvibes.com. And, you know, if you're in the Boston area or in the San Francisco Bay area, definitely come out to one of our stores. So if you are based in New York, we do have three New York locations. We have one on Mercer Street in Soho, one on Rivington Street in the Lower East Side, and then one over by the Barclays Center in Park Slope, Brooklyn. We also have a shop out in Seattle, so West Coast, hey, what's up? You can also find us online at babeland.com, and we are on Instagram and Twitter at babeland underscore toys. 
our website as well as our social media does have some sex ed info as well. If you slide into our DMs on Instagram, we will actually answer any of your sex ed questions. It is staffed by sex educators. So definitely come on in, ask us any questions that you want. If you can't make it to us physically, hit us up. We'll be more than glad to chat. Thank you, Lisa and Andy, for your time. I absolutely loved our conversation. Okay, now it's time for our segment, Let's Talk Sex, and today this segment feels particularly aligned with our topic. This segment is where I ask a question about sex and relationships to a random person and see what they have to say. This week, we have Eric. Okay, hi, can you introduce yourself? My name is Eric McGriff. Awesome, Eric, we're happy to have you for Let's Talk Sex. So tell me on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is an orgasm to you? It is a definite 8. I believe orgasms are how you show appreciation. It's how you show gratitude. Um, and it, 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 it's really just a way of showing your partner how thankful you are for them. So the willingness to get them there, the willingness to get them there how they want to, for me, is, is a huge part of a relationship. I realize it's not that uh, important for everyone, but for me, it is a very important part of a relationship. So you're talking about orgasm for your partner. Uh, for me and my partner, I think it's a mutual thing. Like if they're, if I'm going to ask them to do this and that to get me there, then I'm going to expect that they're going to want me to get them there um, and show my gratitude, my gratefulness, my love in that way, in this as well. Perfect. Thanks so much, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Eric. Listeners, if you want to be featured on our Let's Talk Sex segment, you can email me at jyoon at svfreenyc.org. It'll also be included in our episode description. Thank you to the Alliance staff for supporting this project, to Nikki Cruz, our social media expert, and of course, to Lisa and Andy for your time and your expertise. I had so much fun chatting with both of you, and I honestly learned a lot and felt challenged by a lot too. I hope our listeners did. And thank you, our listeners. We are so grateful for your listenership, and we hope you are enjoying the conversations that we're having. If you feel so inclined, it would be so amazing if you encouraged your friends to take a listen too. Word of mouth is the best way to get people to tune in and we so appreciate those of you who have already started spreading the word and as always let us know if you have any topics you want to hear about or if you have any feedback or comments you can tweet at us at nycaasa or message us on instagram at nyc alliance and make sure you use our hashtag hashtag sex talk happy hour all one word thanks so much for listening today and we wish you all a wonderful and warm holiday season ciao